Candidly with Candace, where we talk in depth with individuals and mental health professionals about the mental, physical, and social impact of living with mental illness. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and today I will be speaking with Robin White, a retired school counselor in Chesterfield County, Virginia, for over 21 years. Robin is passionate about mental health and childhood education. Welcome, Robin, to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Candy. Well, we appreciate you being here, and I've got lots of questions uh, for you. You taught in a Title I school, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And tell me what it actually, or tell our audience what a Title I school is, for those who may not know. Well, Title I schools uh, receive funding from the federal government, and it um, has to have a certain percentage of students below the poverty level, and a certain number of students receiving uh, free breakfast and lunch. Um, as That's the way they qualify. I imagine that that particular group of children may have more difficulties with mental illness or challenges. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I think basically because their families struggle both economically and socially. Um, and of course, that has a great deal of effect on the children. So and there's a lot of single uh, parent families, um, a lot of um, uh, struggles uh, with, like I said, with uh, financial means and that type of thing. And um, I remember as a kid being bullied, and I think over the internet, bullying continues. Well, what about in school? Have you dealt with a lot of kids that have uh, been bullied? Yes, I would deal with that from time to time. And um, either the child would come to me themselves or, you know, referred by uh, a parent or a teacher and uh, then work with the child as well as, as trying to work with the child who's bullying and, um, you know, come to uh, some type of resolution to the problem. In your training and working within the uh, Chesterfield County school system in Virginia, what is the ratio like for counselors to students? Well, the um, uh, state required ratio by law is 500 to one. Although Chesterfield County in the last five years, I would say, has made a greater effort to um, have more counselors in the Title I schools due to the, um, you know, higher level of, of issues that are involved. Interesting. Did you feel that as a counselor that you got support from the administration in schools, educational people? Oh, yeah. Um, lots of support from uh, the administrators um, in the school and um, uh, as well as, you know, if there was an extremely difficult problem, the, there was a, a counseling supervisor for the county that would offer um, people to come and, and uh, uh, provide resources or additional help. Um, I, I, I think of a specific issue where we had a child uh, years ago that died uh, tragically uh, at school. And um, uh, the next day there were volunteer counselors from other elementary schools that came to offer uh, their help because there were students that needed to talk to counselors and teachers that needed to talk to counselors. So it was, you know, they jump right in and provide help for anything um, like that that happens. You, you, um, that is a tragic case. 
I want to know specifically what ages you have dealt with in terms of counseling. Um, kindergarten through fifth grade. So it's about uh, five years old through, it could be as old as 12, but it's usually averaged about 11. Um, and uh, that's basically the, the age group. And I've worked with all of those ages, um, sometimes being the only counselor in the school. Um, but the, uh, as the uh, population is higher, if, if there's over 500 students in the school, then, then you may have a one, two or three day um, counselor that works in several different schools that comes, you know, throughout the week um, to help with the, the burden of, of uh, counseling responsibilities. Speaking of responsibilities, I would take it that your job had to be fairly stressful because you are counseling young children through early teens. Uh, what was your outlet for your own mental health? Well, I always used to go to the gym every day or almost every day after school and work out. So that always helped. And we also had a good network of, um, you know, that the, the, the uh, elementary counselors in the county were divided up in are, are divided up into teams. And so we could always call each other um, on our teams and we got to be pretty close and we could always call and kind of vent and, and get some help or ideas from other people. And, and, uh, um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of physical activity helped me and, and um, uh, you know, enjoying music and that type of thing. When dealing with the different ages that you worked with, was your approach to counseling them different? You mean uh, count, uh, approach to counseling different with the, with the age? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because the, the older children, I'd say grades about three through five, were much better at, at what you would call talk therapy and uh, being able to express themselves. The younger children, uh, it's almost like you had to um, uh, teach them how to express themselves. Um, they, because they didn't have the, um, vocabulary, uh, and at a younger age to be able to express what was going on, um, especially if they had, uh, difficulties at home and were acting out in school, um, then I would have activities for them to do to express that, um, anger or sadness or whatever that, um, uh, they were unable to express through words. So it was, it was definitely different. I've seen a lot of television shows dealing with trauma. I, I like shows like NCIS and Law and Order. Um, and they usually show kids drawing pictures to handle their trauma or to help them solve a crime. Did you use a lot of art therapy in your counseling? Well, it would depend on the child. Some kids were just not interested in art. Some of them really loved to draw and some of them just didn't. Um, I found that boys more, were, were um, more likely to or or have a better if they had something more active um we did uh, we played with play-doh a lot um i had uh, actually the only chalkboard left in my in, in the entire school and they loved drawing on the chalkboard and um i had other more active things for boys um you know uh such as playing with legos and and that boys always did better with um having something active to do while we were trying to talk and and um, me helping them to get through whatever they had on their minds. So that's it, actually very interesting. I would not have thought that. Yeah, um, and it seemed like the girls were more interested in drawing. It would depend. Sometimes if a boy was artsy, you know, sometimes I would give him a choice. 
you know, do you want to draw? Do you want to play with Play-Doh? Do you want to do this or that? You know, and they would choose because sometimes kids would sit down. I don't want to draw. You know, I don't like to draw. And so I wouldn't want to make them do that. Well, we've come a long way since you started teaching and, you know, talking about gender issues and the differences between girls and boys. Um, when you were counseling, did you ever have to deal with the issue of gender identity? Um, not really. Um, there, sometimes there were, I recall a couple of times be, there being a, a, you know, a fifth grade girl that would, you know, or a fifth grade boy that would act, uh, in a, uh, behave in a way that made that, that kids would tease them, you know, a boy that would dance, you know, dance around. And, and I knew a boy like that and the kids teased him and called him gay. And, and, uh, I remember a girl who was very athletic and dressed very masculine, but, the, but at that age, they're, they're not really into questioning their, their gender yet their gender identity, um, they're more concerned with, you know, people are bullying me or teasing me and I want them to stop. Um, and in my attempts to, to discuss gender issues, that it seems like at that age, they, they weren't that interested in, in that discussion. Would you say that a lot of the kids in your school being Title I and low income um, had to deal with issues that we all deal with, but of course, divorced parenthood or divorced parents? Well, yeah, we had a lot of divorced parents, but also, you know, it, um, I don't know if it's necessarily in that population, but there were quite a few kids that had a sing just had a single parent that was never married. Um, and, you know, numerous children or, or um, you know, had uh, a father and mother that just never got married. So, I mean, but they, but it still was the same issue. It was, it was less divorce more than, than, uh, uh, you know, the adults in their life splitting up and, and one of the adults leaving. And so the, the counseling groups I had were for not just children of children of, of split, split up parents, or I even sometimes had a groups for children of single parents and this, you know, cause it was quite a, it's, it is quite a struggle for a single parent in this economy. And, uh, you know, with the issues that they face. Absolutely. And I remember going to school um, in my early childhood and there was this thing called the parent day. And I don't know if that continues today, but I always felt badly for the kids that only had one parent because you stood out if you didn't bring both parents. Right. And then we also had families where grandparents were raising the children. Um, there is a, a fairly good uh, uh, support group in Chesterfield County um, that's uh, for grandparenting who are who, who are um, raising their grandchildren. Uh, it's a support group that's you know run by the actual uh, people that are in the group, and um, I've heard that it's it's fairly good. And I would I would refer grandparents to that group because they would come to me with their frustrations about raising their grandchildren, you know, after raising their own children and not having the life they thought they would have, you know. That is, that is interesting. And as the world changes and with the pandemic, things are certainly very different today, which actually leads me to a slightly different question. 
And that is what recently happened. And I don't know if you're following what's happening in the school systems now that you're retired, but I recently read, I think back in September of this year, there was reported um, lockdown at a school, the MLK or the Martin Luther King Middle School. Do you know anything about that? No, that school's in Richmond City. I don't remember anything about that in the news. Was it uh, due to um, a violent threat or something? Well, what I recall was a parent reportedly saw a student with a gun outside the school, but it turned out that they missed, not misrepresented, but that wasn't exactly the case. Oh, okay. No, I don't remember anything about that. Well, I'm going to go back to the stay on this topic of guns, and I'm sure you're aware of um, the bill that's clarified now on the Hill about currently being argued at the Ohio Supreme Court where parents, or I'm sorry, where teachers should be armed and have a certain number of hours of training with carrying a gun. And I'm wondering as someone who's been in the school system for 21 years, what your thoughts are about teachers carrying guns? Well, I have very strong opinion about that. I really, really am against that. I think that teachers have enough stress and responsibility with what they do now. With uh, adding a firearm to the mix, I think in probably middle and high school, I think it would cause more um, agitation to the students to see their teacher um, armed. Um, I don't think it would make them feel more safe. I think that would, they would feel intimidated. And um, I think that it's the school system's responsibility to provide security, but I don't think it's the teacher's responsibility to do that. Um, because like I said, they have enough stress on their plates without having to carry a, a, a gun around with them. Well, I'm not going to comment on that because my, my views are not that important, but I am going to ask you about going back to the Columbine shooting since you were a, a counselor in the schools. What did, was that like for you? Well, for me personally, it was, it was, it, uh, I was extremely horrified and have been any time that it, something like that happens that um, children would would get to the point in their their life where they feel so angry that they have to take it out on their peers and their teachers. Um, it's it's distressing and and, um, you know, in elementary education, you know, we didn't have to worry about that as much. Um, I've, I've never had this situation in all my years of counseling that where a child brought a gun to school. Um, but, um, you know, I'm sure in the uh, middle and high schools, they, they have to consider that on a regular basis. And it can be very, um, you know, distressful to, to uh, think that that could happen in your own school. So a Absolutely. But even dealing with the younger kids and the news and having these stories aired constantly has to traumatize the younger kids and that has to create fear, whether it's necessary or not. And fear can be a good thing. Um, can you comment about that? 
Oh, yeah. That, when things like that happen, that usually the older kids, like you said, fourth and fifth graders are more, they're, they're at a developmental age where they're more aware of what's happening in the world or they're more attuned to what their parents are talking about. And, and um, you know, bringing those fears to school and talking about it in school. So, you know, the, the teachers are very uh, attuned to the children's um, uh, fears when they come to school and the things that they talk about. So, uh, you know, I would get uh, a teacher saying, you know, here's a student that needs to talk to you um, about what's going on in the news, you know, and, and you know, needs reassurance. And, and a lot of it's just reassuring, you know, the teachers are good at reassuring the kids that you're, you're safe here. We will take care of you. We will protect you and, and making them feel secure enough to go on with their day. The younger children, we more try to shield them from knowing what's going on those types of things and I think that the you know the principal has provided communication to parents because parents sometimes call and wonder you know how can I deal with this stuff in the news with my child and sometimes she would print out information off the internet or or provide them links to to uh, things on the internet that would help them to understand how to uh, deal with their child um, when their child has questions. So, um, you know, well, let me ask you about that. Let me ask you about some techniques that you can share with our listeners who may have some kids that have anxiety or stress or, or fear over what's going on with the pandemic, with shootings in the news and so on. Well, I think the, the, for, for elementary age kids, the, the main thing is just, they they need to to be constantly reassured that that the adults around them are in charge and they're they're taking care of them and they're keeping them safe i think what happens sometimes is you get fearful parents that see things in the news or they actually have somebody in their family with with covid that you know and, and they're fearful and and the child comes to school you know feeling fearful and anxious they feel from the adults at home so it's it's basically trying to reassure them that that they're going to be safe and they're well taken care of and 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 that's it's a constant ongoing thing with with older kids i'd say middle and high school kids it's more educating them on what's you know helping them to understand the difference between uh what you would call real news and fake news and you know what's what the facts are they need to know what what they need to know factual information and, and also again, to know that the adults are keeping them safe and, and, um, you know, protecting them. And, and, you know, if they have adults in their home that are, um, sick or, or dealing with, you know, violence or whatever, then, then, you know, sometimes the counselors can call the parents and say, what, what services can I offer you? that can help you mental health services, um, you know, with Chesterfield County mental health, I refer parent would refer parents there sometimes if I knew that they had a lot of anxiety or were causing, you know, problems with the child because of their own, uh, mental health issues, I would refer them as well. So, um, you know, just all around, just trying to support the entire family. Um, but especially the child at school, because when they're in school, they've got to learn, and if they don't feel secure and safe, they won't learn. I'm so. glad you brought that up because 
not all families are what we see and experience on TV, Ozzy and Harriet. Uh, there's just some older shows um, where families are all happy and everybody's successful and they all get along and no one has mental illness. Everybody's quote unquote normal. Um, have you ever experienced a child who has been in a mentally or physically abused household and has come to seek guidance or support? Yes. Um, uh, there, you know, I have experienced um, many instances where there was, I, I could tell just from meeting the child and, and the teacher talking about the child's behavior and those types of things that, that there was someone at home with uh, a mental health problem um, because, you know, a child coming to school dirty and, and um, not prepared and, and that type of thing, it often sends a signal that there's either, there's a problem maybe with drug or alcohol abuse or a parent who is, has a mental health problem is that, you know, they're not getting their child to school every day because they're still in bed, you know, and they're depressed. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we, you know, with, with, with experience, uh, I could just tell that there was something wrong at home. And I would try to connect with the parent and, and find out if there was anything that, you know, any resources that uh, I could connect them to, to make the household a more stable environment. What are some of those resources that you would connect them to in the Virginia area? Well, um, over time, I collected a quite a comprehensive list of um, uh, counseling services, family ser uh, counseling services throughout the Chesterfield area that were uh, that people had commented on that had very good counselors. It dealt with specific issues such as alcohol and drug abuse or or depression or, uh, you know, um, even adults, uh, parents that had had been traumatized as children, you know, been abused, sexually abused or whatever. And, and there was there are certain counselors around the county that are specific um, in their treatment of those types of um, of issues. And then there's also Chesterfield Mental Health uh, has uh, really improved their services um, over the past 10 years. They've made more of an effort to uh, get counselors and, and be able to, uh, you know, at, for, for a long time, there was a really like a three or four month wait just to even get in to see a counselor. But they've really improved that quite a bit. And um, they also have a psychologist on um staff as well so it's it's or, or a psychiatrist it might be a psychiatrist um if a person needs medication or anything like that so that you, you know it, it's hard for low-income or or undereducated families adults to access those services unless they get uh comprehensive support from someone because sometimes they don't follow through in their appointments they you know that the counselor says you need medication, you need to go see this psychiatrist and then they can't take off work, you know, so it's best to have it. It's good to have it all in one place. And then they have um, a caseworker <clears throat> that's in charge of their case and helps them um, access all the services they need. So there, you know, there is quite a lot available um, if the, if parents, if adults are, are willing to, to access it. You know, which leads me to the pandemic, because we can't have a podcast on mental health without discussing the effects of the pandemic 
And that's, you know, basically kids didn't go to school for over a year and a half. Right. What kind of impact do you think that is going to have long term on either the younger kids or the older kids? Well, I think more so the younger kids because they're still, you know, elementary age children are still um, accessing the basic needs, um, uh, educational needs, reading, writing, math, um, thinking skills, um, uh, analyzing skills. They're still learning those things. And, you know, once you get to middle and high school, you're basically um, learning subject matter. And, and by then you should have already gotten those basic skills. But if you're uh, five years old and you missed a year and a half of basic skills and you're in second grade, you're seven years old and you still don't know uh, letter sounds, well, that's a serious issue um, because it's all developmental. And by the time they finish fifth grade, they, got, they have to have all those skills intact and, and be able to read comprehensively and, and um, uh, analyze and, and, you know, study and that type of thing. But I think it's this group of kids is going to have a serious problem once they get into the upper grades and that upper grades are going to have to deal with that with kids that still don't have basic skills by the time they get to middle school. I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Uh, it scares me to think what's going to happen to those kids in terms of potential for future, for a good future, for great jobs, but also their mental health. Um, do you think that the schools will be adequately prepared for dealing with that? I can't imagine they wouldn't be discussing that already um, because, the, you know, they've got a group of fifth graders coming up next year to sixth grade that some of them still may not have basic skills. So I can't imagine they wouldn't be preparing for that. So, but I have, you know, I don't have access to, to talking to people about that. I, I was at the school, uh, my last school earlier, uh, or last week to drop off some angel tree gifts. And I talked to the counselor and she said, it's, it's quite a struggle for the teachers because, you know, if you're a second grade teacher and you've, got kids that still don't know letter sounds you know that's that's a struggle and and you've but but you've also got that widespread of kids that parents did have them go on zoom or online and and do their classes and help them with everything and they're right on level and then the ones that whose parents were working or or just not educated themselves and and didn't make them go online and and didn't follow through and the kids are so far behind. She said that the behaviors have have really escalated because children are frustrated. Yeah, I would imagine that is true. And I was thinking about their emotional health, not only from feeling frustrated by not being able to keep up with education and with and being ready for the next grade level, but what about the social aspects? Right. That Well, especially that, too, because they were isolated in their own homes with not much peer interaction for so long. Um, she said, you know, there's a, a lot of issues with kids that just don't can't interact or else they were allowed to run wild, you know, at home and, and don't have the discipline that you need to have in school to focus on learning the, the discipline that you learn starting from kindergarten, you know, right to sit still and listen and how to interact with a peer to do a task together you know things like that basic skill 
types of things you learn in school if they were not, you know, taught at home or, you know, if you're sitting there in front of a computer by yourself and you're five years old, you're not going to get as much out of it as if your parents don't follow through with it or don't know how or not even there because they're working. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, the kids have, it's kind of, they've got a hole in their education. They've missed out. And the, the, uh, the uh, teachers are having to, to struggle to make up for that. Let me ask you in the minute and a half we have left uh, for your advice, either to parents, to the teachers or the administrators of what they need to do to help these kids move forward in a healthy way and successful way. Well, I think they probably are doing it, but, um, you know, the, the kids, of course, need emotional support and to understand that, you know, yeah, you're in third grade, but you can barely read. That's okay because it's not your fault. And, and this, you know, terrible sickness that's going around has affected our whole world and, and it's not your fault that you're behind, but we're going to do everything possible to make sure that you catch up. And, and if we work together, we can do it. And also to reassure the parents that we're, you know, the teachers have always done this. I reassure parents that we're a team, you know, that parents and the school and the kids together can, can uh, work hard to get, get them where they need to be. And if we have to work extra hard, we will. And, and uh, you know, I think just reassurance that we're all in the same boat, you know, you're, we're, we're going to do this and, and we'll do the best we can and work hard until we, you know, get to where we need to go. Well, Robin, thank you for your insight and your time today. I think you'll be helping out a lot of teachers and parents who listen to this podcast. I can't thank you enough for being here today and talking about a very important subject. And to the audience, of course, remember, every cloud has a silver lining.